All right. Well, welcome to another great episode of The Big Ticket Life. Happy, honored to have Carla Sinkson on the show with us this week. So she's she's had a PR marketing company that did like big store openings for big, big names like Sony. She'll tell us more about that. Carla's got a franchise in the Philippines, which I want to really dig into because I love the leverage and scale that comes from franchising. So that's very cool. But she's now dialing into us living the laptop lifestyle from Playa del Carmen, Mexico. Carla, welcome to the show. Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. And I'm super excited to share my journey. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so what's your favorite thing about Playa del, Playa del Carmen? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I would say if I Four can things. boil it down to like one thing, my favorite thing about Playa del Carmen would definitely be uh, the weather. How, you know, it's warm all year round. It's a little cool between December to April, kind of like 18 to 26 Celsius. And, um, and, uh, it's really nice out here. We get over 300 days of sun and I live three blocks from the beach. So it's just perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Somebody from Pennsylvania, we, we get, um, not that I was just <laughs> looking out the window. It's sunny today, but it's cold and. We don't get that. Um, so that's, that's very cool. Um, uh, what's next on the, is, is there another destination on the list or are you kind of digging the locale you're in right now? Yeah, I definitely love it here. I've been here for two years and um, I think I'm, I'll probably be here for a few more years or something. I have another really amazing thing about Playa del Carmen, especially after the pandemic is a lot of entrepreneurs came here when they realized that they can just choose where to live. And um, and there's a really good entrepreneur community here oh, that, wow. that I love. Yeah. So you get to meet up with other interesting individuals. and Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Plan. I even host parties. I, I host parties, dinners, potlucks. So I love that too. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, it dawns on me, we're, we're friends on Facebook. And I think I saw in your, uh, one of your, in your profile picture, you, you like to play poker, play card games. Yeah. So, uh, when I was fresh out of college, this is where we start, I guess. Um, uh, I had a pretty good, like, college resume. Uh, I actually graduated college at 19. Uh, and, um, I graduated as the president of the debate the debate team and a table tennis champion. And for a college student, I thought that was a pretty stellar resume. However, when I started applying for uh, jobs, um, nobody wanted to hire a teenager. They thought I would just like go up to work, like show up to work drunk or hungover. And they thought that it was like, I was just a flight risk. So I cannot forget this, but I remember kind of this all happened in a week where I realized I, w- I got rejected by my dream like companies, which was Coca-Cola, uh, Unilever, and I think Procter & Gamble. And I was really heartbroken. So I decided, well, I'll just do something else. So I think I got a job as a freelance writer, as, as a writer, not freelance writer, but a copywriter actually at an ad agency. And on the side, I started playing poker. And However, I was still 19, so I just kind of did it on Facebook and 
I don't know if you guys remember when Facebook poker was big in like 2009 or something. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And um, yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the Philippines or in okay. Asia or something or for poker players. So Facebook poker was like a thing and you could sell your poker chips in the online forums. So I would play poker on Facebook and as a side gig, I would sell like 1 million Facebook poker chips for, um, for like $10 or something. I forgot. Get my side gig. So I got better at poker. And when I was 21, I started playing in casinos and then I started making more money, uh, and poker than my day job. So I, uh, I never had a job after that. So poker actually paved my way to <laughs> entrepreneurship. I never really said that out loud. So that's from time to time, I play. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting. So did you, um, it, it, you know, before I asked what I was going to ask. So really what you were doing, like Facebook poker trips was, was that maybe early digital currency example? <laughs> No, it was kind of like you, so you buy them on, uh, on, so playing Facebook poker was free. And, um, however, when people, uh, run out of chips, they want to keep playing. They have to buy it from Facebook. It was just, I was winning a lot. Um, and I, mm. I play poker every day. So obviously I'm not saying I'm this amazing, like poker player, but if you do something every day, obviously you'll get so good at it. Right. So it was all that I did every day. And I started getting good at it. And then I would sell my poker chips because you can pass your poker chips to another Facebook user. I was selling them basically uh, at a cheaper price that Facebook was selling poker chips. Love <laughs> it. Love it. Just a hustle. I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that. So what was the uh, what was the biggest hand you ever won where you bluffed your way to the win? Oh, actually, I do this a lot. So I, uh, I would raise aggressively on draws. So I would raise ag aggressively, mostly for flush draws. If I have a flush draw on the flop, I would just raise aggressively and make people think I have like a top pair. Um, and then it would either scare them enough to leave before my draw arrives. So I win or, mm -hmm. um, or it would, they would be also really brave because maybe they have a good hand or they want to out bluff me and they will stay. So I would have to bet that my flush arrives on the river and the turn or I, I just lose big. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you, do you mind sharing what was your biggest win? Like single hand biggest win? Uh, do, I don't do, do cash games. Yeah, I don't do oh, cash games. Okay. Yeah, so I only play tournament because I only play for titles, and um, gotcha. and I didn't wanna. I didn't really want to gamble. I just wanted to participate in a competition. That was the thing. Oh, I got you. Okay, I didn't realize there was a delineation there. I know very little about poker, so that's yeah. interesting. So then, what was uh, what's what's your what title did you hit or get that you're most proud of? Oh gosh. Um, well, I was, so in my city, in the Philippines, Davao City, they used to have, uh, ladies nights. It was a way that they would encourage ladies to play, uh, the tournament. So every Wednesday, ladies would get free registration. Uh, and then we play against male players, but the guys have to pay. And then, uh, so I, I would always win those, um, 
those free tournaments because they the win uh the prize for those tournaments is a seat to a bigger tournament. So I think my mm-hmm. biggest win is is just is winning the ladies tournament and then winning the bigger tournament. Uh I forgot how much it was. It wasn't a lot. Um it was less than a thousand bucks, which is still a lot of money in the Philippines, but I just love um, you know, I just love that part where or you win in a competition. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So obviously we're we're hearing the competitive edge yeah. of, that Carla's got to her. So don't come at her, she'll win. Right. <laughs> it seems to be the seems to be the vibe I get. So tell us about some of these. So you 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 uh the big the big industries turned your way, which was a good thing in the long term for your journey. Uh poker supplements a little bit of it, gets that start of that entrepreneurial side hustle. How do you find yourself doing these grand openings for some of the biggest name brands out there? Yeah. So um, for people who did not catch that beginning part, I also own an uh, events and planning, uh, events planning and PR company in the Philippines. We do corporate openings and then feature these opening and launch events in newspapers, you know, before and even in radios and, um, and radio stations and blogs and then uh, social media. But uh, I think how that started also was I was a public speaker in college and um, a lot of companies came to me to emcee their events. So, and then I started emceeing events too. And then I, and then I remember there was this moment where I emceed beside, and I was the co-host of this really big star in the Philippines, literally like the, the, I, I, I don't know, it was the, the Jennifer Lawrence of Philippines, like a really famous actress. And okay. we were co-hosting. That was a highlight of my career. And I got paid $500 for an hour of hosting, which is a lot of money. But I also thought I'm co-hosting with the biggest star in the Philippines. And this is how much I got paid. And this is probably my ceiling. So I need to make more money. I need to find a way to make more money from these events. Mm, and I smart. realized that as an MC, I had these contacts. I knew who arranged the flowers, the balloons, everyone. I knew the security, you know, um, the makeup artists, like I knew them all. So I started doing small events like baby showers and all that. And then I started doing weddings, bigger weddings. And then we moved to uh, corporate events. And I would say how that experience really helped me is it helped me learn how to launch something and how to make that launch known and make it meaningful. And I think that as entrepreneurs, it's okay to, you know, have different ideas. Uh, you don't have to, of course, focus is important, but you don't have to stay in one business. Um, forever, right? And it's okay to fall out of love of the business that you have because who you are today is not going to be the same person in three years. Right. And, uh, and I think what that really helped me is that now I know how to launch any business because I've done it for small businesses. Like I've done it for this coffee shop in the corner and I've done it to Sony. So from small to big companies, I've learned how to launch uh, something, and I think that was a uh, the biggest win. Yeah, can you? Uh, and I don't want I don't want you to give away your secret sauce or your playbook, but maybe at a high level, can you um, can you share what makes what are what are a handful of ingredients that make a launch really successful? 
Right. So this is like boring and no one wants to do it, but we all know, we all know what we should do, right? So I think one of the most important thing is really getting to know your market, like doing market research. So for example, um, I, wh- whatever business you want to launch, really getting to know who your buyers are and where do they hang out and what kind of conversations are they having? So part of my basic process for market research is finding where these people are human. And this is why I love Facebook. So I have grown my, uh, a lot of businesses just off of Facebook organic because on Facebook, people are human. On Facebook, people announce their engagements, their dogs dying. They announce their breakups, their divorces, right? Their kids graduating. They moved to a new city. They took on a new job. People share these things on Facebook. So I would say Facebook is the most human um, social media out there. And so you go on Facebook, you find out where your market hangs out, what groups, you know, what kind of threads, who are they following? And then, and then you can go to boards, forums like Reddit and Quora, people that are superhuman because of the anonymous um, part of it. And this is also, I, you know, like, I love how you say that. Yeah, how people how are how people are superhuman because of the anonymous nature of it. So just yeah, expand on that for a minute, and we'll get back to back to yeah. what you were sharing. Absolutely. So the more you, I would really encourage people here and everyone who owns a business to find your target market on Reddit and Quora. I swear to you guys, the best copy you're gonna get are the things that they say word per word. Because these are their real feelings. They're anonymous. They have nothing to lose. They're not, they're not having to put on a face. I mean, on Facebook, you still have to put on a face, right? Um, but there it's, uh, it's, it's human. And then you also notice, you also notice how they, uh, interact with other users. Like, for example, if the username is female on Reddit, people are usually nicer to them. If the username is usually male sounding, like for example, like um, Jeff NFL fan 88 or something like that, right? So that sounds very male. How'd you know my username? (laughs) Uh, That sounds very male, right? So usually people are like not as nice. If you express an opinion, um, I'm going to like basically use your maleness uh, against you, (laughs) something like that. But if you're a woman or like specifically if you have like a, a persona like a mom like for example if my username was like mom life 32 like people are usually nicer to me or something so right right. yeah (laughs) and and for those that yeah for those that don't know um reddit and quora are websites they're online but basically they aggregate people around topics and things of interest so Uh nfl is one of them more Niche of a niche is Philadelphia Eagles fans. I've got my <laughs> autograph football right here. I'm a massive Eagles fan. Um, and you can really get niche specific. Uh, I'm a big fan of Reddit. Um, I probably spend more time on there than I should, but yeah, like uh, just to bring Carla's example home, if you're, if you're in anything finance, you need to be paying attention to the personal finance subreddit. You talk about people being human and dropping the facade. Oh my God, the horror stories that some people have, the things that people don't know, you know, that you would think is common knowledge 
for an adult, like how do you not know what payroll taxes are? Yeah. These are things like, so you get some really great intel. So launching an event, know your audience, tap into Facebook, use groups, which is kind of a more not as anonymous, a little more gated way of getting to know people, using Reddit, using Quora, what's next? Yeah. So, and then I think after that, you know, when you really know what they want and what excites them, tap into the thing that excites them. So, um, I've had really big clients come to me. One of the biggest launches I've done was for Qatar Airways, which is, uh, one of the best airlines in the world. And I launched a route to Doha and we had to do this big event, really big event. And then what do you say when like the, head of marketing of Qatar Airways comes to you and literally asks you, so what should we do to get people topping? Or, and then how can you suggest something that Air Asia and uh, other airlines have not done before? And having that also match the brand of Qatar Airways. So, you know, so these things, you know, if I had now, I, I would say, I'm, I'm better at marketing now because I, I, I read books. I, you know, follow people and I continue to learn. And that Qatar Airways event was four years ago, five years ago. So, uh, we were able to build a plan. They were really happy. Everything was awesome. But I would say if I could do it all over again, I would probably think of a way better idea if I did the market research that I just shared with you. So, um, Yeah, we, what we did for that is in the part that what excites them, we featured, um, this Philippine, um, dance group called Jabawakis. I think they're famous. They, they won, uh, like a talent show, I think in the USA. Yeah. They have, I think they still have a show in Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So we hired them to, to produce a, a, a custom presentation about flying to Doha or something. So that was nice. That's very cool. So the route was from the Philippines to Doha, Qatar. Yes, it was uh, yeah. Davao to Doha. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Well, well, yeah. And obviously you would, you would, you know, maybe, maybe Jabberwockies would still be a part of it. Um, Cause that's obviously uh, a proud moment for mm. Filipino people, right? You mm-hmm. see, you see your people go succeed on a world stage. That's great. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, obviously you would have a different idea, uh, a, a more evolved idea after five years of being a student. And I think, I think that's the thing a lot of business owners forget is that you should always remain a student. No matter the level of success you achieve, you should always be learning. If there's not, I mean, in this day and age, if there's not a new book hitting your front door at least once every 10 days, uh, now I'm a big believer in Main Street business, but I do shop on Amazon for books. So that's that. Cause in my area, it's just, it's just Barnes and Noble and Amazon. That's all there is. Um, yeah. we don't have any more independent bookstores, unfortunately, but if you're not, if you're not getting some new information via a book or a Kindle download or something, at least once a week, once every 10 days, you really should put that into, um, into your mix. What, what, what excites you? What things do you do to keep that learning machine going for yourself? 
Well, I'm really, really lucky that my dad has turned me on to reading very early. In fact, I have like a little prince tattoo on my back because it's the first book I've read. And it started my love for reading. So I know most people don't like reading and don't like the activity of reading. And so they try to find their way around it with Audible or downloading Cliff Notes. So that's great too. But I genuinely love reading. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to just read. Like if you tell me like sit down and read for an hour, I'm like, thank you. Like that's a treat. But um, to your question of how do you keep that the fire of learning going? Um, I genuinely think there is an innate like achievement in knowing things. In knowing things and knowing things before others knew it. So that's a little narcissistic, but I mean, I won't deny there's a, I mean, if you're the cool guy who introduced Avril Lavigne before Avril Lavigne became big, aren't you like this coolest person in a friend group, right? Yeah. So anyway, me there's, saying Avril Lavigne shows my age. So <laughs> I'm right. Hey, I'm there with you. Uh, yeah, I've got somebody in my network whose claim to fame is discovering and bringing Taylor Swift forward. You know, yeah. so. So yeah, there those things go. exist. So you like being an early adopter is what I'm, you kind of look for that, that position. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like that, but also it's, it also balances out with knowing the right things and then being able to use it properly. So not rushing something as well, just for the mere fact of being first. Like for example, two years ago, um, I started a copywriting division that used Jasper. This is two years ago. So mm-hmm. I was already dabbling in like uh, AI copywriting. I learned a lot of things. I took courses. I, I had a mentor and I opened a new division, my outsourcing company for AI empowered copywriters. And I re- just remember how hard it was to sell it because people are like, you're going to oh, have yeah. AI write our copy. They're like, no, I want to I wanna hire real copywriters. What kind of writers are you hiring, Carla? Oh, they're from the Philippines? Like, what's their English like? Oh, are they going to write copy or just blog posts? So I had those conversations with my clients. And now AI is everywhere. Everyone's, you know, throwing parties for Chad GPT. But it mm-hmm. kind of, I'm not going to deny it kind of made me feel kind of good that I'm like, yeah, yeah. Two years ago, I was already doing Jasper. My VAs are trained for it. Like, let's go. Yeah. You, um, I know because one of the masterminds I'm a part of uh, has a big focus on copywriting. And you were, you were the, you know, public enemy number one. If, you know, because like copywriters, it's, it, it is an art form. Um, you know, but it is also a selling art. It is also an art of human connection and personalization. Um, and there's there's a belief within copywriting, the copywriting world, that like there has to be suffering. You have to go through the paces and spend weeks on a project and on a package and um, toil over every single word. And all of that can be true. But blending that knowledge base, that research, and really so much of copywriting is research, which we've mm-hmm. already touched on. Mm-hmm. So if you've done the research, you then know the right questions to ask. And in the case of AI, the smarter question you ask, the better output of an article or a letter 
a blog, a chapter of a book, whatever comes out, right? Is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like it just, it doesn't, it will not face out copywriters. It will make copywriters more efficient and it will supercharge your copywriter. And I would say if I'm going to, so I've written copy. I also kind of like identify as a copywriter. I've written, uh, the only job I was able to keep for more than six months was a copywriter at an ad agency. And I Mm -hmm. used to write copy for radio ads, TV ads, and like newspaper press releases, like really old school. Again, I'm showing my age, but, um, if there is one out, out of the box, like tip that I could share with copywriters, it's learn how to write poetry. This is, it's kind of like not a really common advice, but. If you think about it, like poetry says a lot with the least amount of words. When you read like really good poetry, you feel things, right? You feel things, you cry, you, you, uh, you, you mourn, you, you just, all these feelings come out. And I think making feelings come out is the, is, is a copywriter's goal. And sure, you can learn like, format on how to write a VSL or a, a, an easy plug and play uh, sales page fill in the blanks thing. Mm-hmm. But without getting that emotion out, it's going to be very hard to convince people to take action or to feel that thing before they take action that makes the action come with conviction. So I have um, realized this a while ago because I was a hippie. And I used to go to slam poetry events. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. If I could just do that with my copy, I could be so much better. So that's also one thing I never stopped learning from. I I buy poetry books. I literally sign up to poetry workshops with some of the most famous poets in the world right now. And, um, and, and I see actually a lot, a couple, a couple of really good copywriters, famous copywriters that are sharing poetry and they're also studying poetry like now. So I'm happy to also see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we went kind of deep there on copywriting. So if you're listening to this as a business owner and you weren't even sure what copywriting was, listen to what Carlos said. It's about that emotional connection. That's selling. So Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're just presenting the feature of what you do, the nuts and bolts of it, the specifications, get away from that as fast as possible and connect to that outcome benefit reward that your customer gets from you. Uh, Take that away from what we just touched on and you'll see an immediate turn in your business. Because look, people have the internet to look up the features. And if you're going to try to win on feature, there's always going to be some other solution that's got better features. It's just the, Uh it's, it's the nature of things. Things improve over time. So unless you're improving with the pace at which the world is improving, you're losing because everybody's got access to the world now. So Absolutely. we have to connect on a more emotional benefit-driven level. Um, that's really smart. I really like that we got to that point in our conversation. Um, something else that I find very interesting about you, your franchise, you're a franchisor. You have a flower shop that you franchised. So that's very cool to me because for me, a little, little inside knowledge of me, uh, I'm a, I'm a very limited government kind of individual. Okay. So anytime business begins to that I own or consult to or sit on a board for, 
Uh, I almost got off a board position because I was so hard against what I'm about to say. Uh, anytime a business gets down the road of in the states here, SEC, FTC, regulatory controls, I'll shy away. I just don't. I see that as a hurdle, not a help. Um, so for me, franchising is a no-go. Like I'm just not going to have a business where I have to do that. Maybe it's different in the Philippines versus here, uh, as far as regulation goes, but I still respect franchising for the power that it is for a business because it means what you've done is, uh, successful. It's scalable and it's repeatable. And, um, it provides massive value for somebody like you that owns it. Uh, and it provides value for those that come in because you're showing them a path. So tell us about this uh, flower shop that you franchised. Yeah. So um, in 2007, I was still in college and I was going to these um, debate tournaments and my, you know, we were poor. So my parents were like, we can't, we don't have money to send you to these competitions. You know, you have to pay for like a plane fare and, uh, or a bus fare to go to these competitions and the registration for the competitions. So I had to find another way to make more money. And I just kind of sat with myself and thought, what is an item that people pay for and that they have accepted to be overpriced? And I realized flowers. So as a guy, you know this, Jeff, you go to Walmart, a bunch of flowers is $13. But if you get them delivered to your wife or your girlfriend, um, it's $50. And you just kind of mm-hmm. accepted that. You just kind of mm-hmm. give your card and accepted that it is four times the price now. And nobody, nobody questions that. And, um, uh, hopefully no one will. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, listen, it's, it's, you know, this bottle of water is, you know, I buy, you know, you buy a case of 40 of these here. In my yeah. grocery store for like five bucks. Yeah. So what is that? That's less than 10 cents a piece, right? Yes, um, exactly. So that math, right? So, but you, <laughs> you, you get one of these at the airport. It's four dollars. Yeah. So yeah, no shame in that game. So yeah. you decide flowers is the path. Yeah. For my debate success. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I was so young, right? I didn't even have a bank account. So I would actually tell my clients to Western Union me the money. And then I would get the money. It sounded like a scam. A Western Union. And then I would deliver the flowers. I would arrange the flowers. I went to YouTube, like how to arrange flowers. And then uh, I would deliver them myself. And um, obviously along the way, I started to love, actually love the business. It's very relaxing. Like you should see like in my house right now, I always have fresh flowers and they're like in a different um, arrangement every week. And, you know, my boyfriend like loves it. But, um, along the way, I just started to take that more seriously. I think on our third year, we were able to get an office. And then the year after that, we were able to get a window display, um, office. And then 2013, four years after that, honestly, I, I felt like I just needed money and I wrote an offer to my Facebook following that I'm going to sell a business in a box. And I I targeted kind of like stay-at-home moms and mm-hmm. moms who want to make more money um, just being at home and having that flexibility. And I think my first franchise, I sold it for, it wasn't technically a franchise, like legally, it's not a franchise, like on paper. 
it's right. kind of like a business in a box or a dealership. So it's a dealership. And right. um, and the first one that I sold was a thousand dollars, I think. And it was um like eight videos of me telling them how to start a business. And then um like five tutorial videos of how to arrange flowers and some of the mixed media bouquets that we did. And then we gave them our ad copy, you know, like how to run ads. And we taught them how to just read the marketing part of it, sponsor beauty contests, you know, give flowers to politicians, whatever, um, how to grow their business. And then we trapped the ROI of these people. And we, and then we, we were successful with like our first three, the first three people who just believed in me and wanted, had money to invest. And so we kept raising the price and, and trap ROI. So right now the business in a box is $5,000 and we have no dealer that didn't ROI within the first six months. So yeah. it's uh, easy to start. We'll give you everything and, uh, and you get your money back or basically like the soonest the, the, this really, really motivated dealer, um, even made his money back in two weeks, which was crazy amazing but he just had a lot of contacts that he could sell to so that was a, a really good um uh success story so i would say um if if i can take away something from that like franchising or selling dealerships is not for everyone but there is always a benefit of systematizing your processes documenting them um yeah. there's a lot of benefit to that like it's easy to hire and replace someone um you can franchise or sell it. You can get out of your business or you can, you can exit. So yeah. all of those options are available. Yeah. Sounds to me like what you've done is, is, is what I do. One of my income streams is licensing the marketing materials yeah. that I've created for the one business. Kind of sounds like that's, that's the place that you've gone with it, which is also very smart. It's, it's, it's like the last step here in the States before being a full-blown franchise. Uh, right, just kind of allows you to operate the way you want um, without using the word franchise. I always tell people, I mean, yes. uh, when you're not franchising anything, because here when you start using that word and it's not set up legit, you can you can end up in some hot water pretty quick. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I love that how you broke that down and the, the, with the business in a box, very smart. So you've been on this. So we've kind of a, we've kind of set forth that you're an early adopter, right? So you've been on this with poker, you were on this with flowers and outsourcing and um, even with AI and copywriting. And really the undertone here is, is, is you want reward and you want to scale your time. Yes. And not coincidentally, <laughs> you've landed on, you've landed on what you call managed outsourcing. You have that as a company. And I'm a big fan of this. I have a couple uh, folks that uh, I call VAs. I think you call that too, but I love your name, Managed Outsourcing. Um, so this is a business, uh, I think, is this relatively newer for you? The, the um, outsourcing? Yeah, my first outsourcing company uh, was, I started it in 2017. Okay, and so not um, all that new. Yeah. That's so, five years already. Yeah, <laughs> But that evolved. Like I had another company that I started in 2020 and then I, I retired my shares on that company. And then now I'm back to 
that original business and going in and, and adding things and just just going that. Yeah. So I just, I, I literally, and I actually just shared your name with the person I'm going to reference here as somebody that is in this field and does offer these services of virtual assistance and managed outsourcing. Um, so his, his concern was letting go. I just don't think anybody's going to do it as good as me. And what would you, so what would you say to that statement? Cause I think that's, that's not just the friend I was talking to. I think that's the, the, the control and the holding on to tasks and being able to see it get done and have direct involvement. That's a common thread through many business owners. Um, as I see it, would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. So, um, it's not a simple, it's not a simple issue. And this is why I love being in the sales part of my business. Um, because I get to talk to people, uh, on a daily basis. And, uh, well, less now I have a sales team, but like even my friends, you know, if my friend would like hit me up and like, Hey, can I buy you lunch? And just like, you know, I, I want to work through this issue. I, I had a lot of trouble letting go. And it's actually like two, I, I would, I would, there's a lot of reasons, but I would mention two, two of the most common reasons why a lot of entrepreneurs find it hard to delegate and let go, quote unquote, is number one, they actually have an inner feeling of unworthiness. And um, mm-hmm. what we are growing up, we, especially if you grew up poor, which is like most people, <laughs> we have to remember most people are poor. Um, when we, we grow up poor, we are always inundated by these thoughts and ideas and principles about hard work, like money doesn't grow on trees and he don't date him. He is out of your league. Or are you really going to wear that? Cause it doesn't really fit your body type. So these conversations of unworthiness are around us. And when that stays in our body, in our bodies, it makes us think that we are unworthy of help, that we are unworthy of support, that we are unworthy of the growth that our business should have. And even though you listen to Tony Robbins every day and Jordan Peterson or whatever, it's hard to, you know, unless you like go to therapy and do like somatic work or you, you do a lot of like things to really get that out of your system, it's going to live there. And that is what's stopping a lot of people from letting go, not just in business, but like not like nagging their husband or me as an eldest child thinking that my younger siblings are not responsible enough. Like we still have these thoughts sometimes in our heads. So right. that would be number one. So I would definitely say like... That's a very, very yeah. important point that yeah. everybody should listen to and kind of hit the 10 second backward button a couple of times on that in the show or on your, on your player, wherever you're listening to this. That's a very important point. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, absolutely. And um, so that feeling of unworthiness, whatever you can do to to kind of police that or heal it, uh, whatever your methods are, meditation, eating better, cooking your own food, uh, learning about your hormones, what makes you feel good. So whatever your journey is, as long as you're working on it, I would say that is a good step towards feeling um, feeling ready to let go of the things in your business. Number two, and this is something that I actually just discovered lately. I was talking to a friend of mine who has a really successful website. 
And, but she was so overwhelmed and it's so hard for her to let go. Really, we've been talking for months. And in that day, we were like, let's, let's fix this. We sat for two hours and literally I'm like a therapist. Like I kind of just kept asking her questions, kept bringing things out. And you know what I discovered is a lot of entrepreneurs, when they are not doing anything in their business, they feel useless. And Mm -hmm. being that person, that most useful person in their company, they are so tethered to that identity that if they're not doing anything for their business, their life has no meaning. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Um, and so when I uncovered that, you know, she was always like, I've been doing this for 13 years. I'm so tired. And it's just me. It's just me. I have like 10 freelancers, but it's so difficult, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, why didn't you work on it? Like, it's really hard um, to uncover it. So I just kept asking her questions. And then I asked her, so do you feel like if you're not doing anything, you're not being useful? And then you kind of lose meaning. And then she realized like, oh my gosh, like that's it. And then she, you know, her eyes swelled up and, and that's when she realized that that's what's stopping her. She, mm-hmm. she, she, her, she's so close to her business. She made it her identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's easy to do for everybody because, you know, um, you start with an idea that's typically rooted in a passion, a hobby, a suggestion, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be really good at this from people you care about. And then you start, you start it that way. And then, you know, a lot of people just remains that passion project, but for most, it turns into a real business, but it does become their identity. So through leveraging, um, people, which is what you do through virtual assistants, um, how do you, how do you get people, uh, to kind of unhinge from that? I have to be doing the work. I have to be working in the business. How do you get them to that on position where they're, always working on the business and they've got a team of people around them. And what does it look like when that team is outsourced? Yeah. So I usually start with talking to um, my client on what their ideal day looks like. Because I don't want to take that thing from them that they like doing in their business. Like, for example, for me right now, it's easy for me to like play golf at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday or go to the spa anytime or do groceries at 9 a.m. on a Thursday. And this is my ideal life. But I also like, uh, I also like, um, writing copy. I love writing copy for my business and I insist (laughs) on doing that. And, um, and so I just kind of keep that as my space to thrive. And so that's, and that's my ideal day. That's my ideal life. That's my ideal week. And I'm pretty extroverted. I like going out with my friends. I love meeting new people. And, um, and so I kind of, I start with my ideal life. Then everything else should adjust according to that. So I tell my clients that, what is your ideal life? And then let's make your business abide by that. It shouldn't be the other yeah. way around. Yeah. I, I, I like to say around here, it's very important to do life and business on your terms. And you're echoing that with the way that you help people. So as we look to kind of wrap up our time, what what have been some big home runs that you've helped your clients achieve through outsourcing? So uh, I'm happy to share that the biggest home runs that, that I've achieved with my clients through outsourcing is really being able to get to the life, their ideal lifestyle. 
Um, I've, I've had so many, for example, girlfriends that would just tell me, I wish I had your life. You're always shopping. You're always out. You're going to the spa. You're doing this. Like, yeah, it's not impossible. Like you can do it. And then I kind of help them with that. Um, because after, after a person is comfortable, joyous and peaceful, it's so easy to make the money decisions. Warren Buffett said the only job of a CEO is to make good decisions. And if a CEO mm -hmm. makes 10 good decisions in a year, the business will be in a right spot. So really our job here is how can we build systems around your company? And we don't just do like, we don't just like plug and play a virtual assistant. We actually put a lot of work in the onboarding and documenting the processes in the beginning. And that's where the magic happens because now they're not doing it alone, or even if they have a business development person in their company, we will see blind spots that they won't see being an outsider. So we help them with that. And it's a win-win for everyone because when we've perfected that system, the VA has an easier time plugging into their program and their company, and they have an easier time onboarding the VA, and then everyone wins. So I would say being able to give peace of mind, joy, uh, more free time, and anything that helps business owners make better decisions is the biggest win in outsourcing. That's yeah. when you get this big idea, when you get this big like offer idea or whatever, it really makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a, I mean, I love, I've not heard that Warren Buffett quote, but I love it. That the role of a CEO is to make good decisions. Um, not make decisions based on emotional response, not make decisions based on the fact that, you know, your employees today seem to revolt against you, not that your vendors failed you, like just make good decisions. And a good decision is always easily identified and recognized and respected. And then all of that other good stuff around the ideal lifestyle you want to live comes from it. What a Absolutely. great spot to wrap. Yeah, great spot to wrap up. Make good decisions, people. Carla said it through Warren Buffett, inspired by Warren Buffett. Carla, this has been a lot of fun. Um, where do people get a hold of you? Uh, what's the best place to get in contact with you? Yeah, so um, you can easily find me on Facebook where I'm most human. <laughs> uh, look for I Carla Singson. Yeah, Carla Singson on Facebook. Uh, just a little warning, it's not always safe for work. The things that I post, but I'm sure your dad will love my memes. So um, you can chat on Facebook and um, I'm also on Instagram, Carla Stefan. And if you need any advice, just hit me up. I do uh, office hours, but better. I do uh, three hours every week to just talk to people individually to work through their team management, leadership issues, uh, outsourcing issues, whatever that they need help with. It's absolutely free and even if you are thinking of outsourcing, but not sure, or even if you have a remote team and you need help in managing them, um, I do this office hours for everyone. So um, just send me a message and my team will get back to you in my calendar. Awesome. And we'll have all of Carlin's social handles and websites. You've also got proximityplacements.com. Um, that's still a good place for people to connect with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Check us out Perfect. on what we do with outsourcing so that we can help you make better decisions proximityplacements.com. Yeah. So we'll have that in the show notes, uh, wherever you're listening to this. If you're watching it, it always pays to watch the show because 
You get to meet my guests in a more human way. I love that phrase. I'm going to use that. Hope that's all right. Um, you get to see them, how they interact and speak. And uh, you always learn more when you can take in a couple different sensory experiences. So watch it on video, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn. We'll have all the notes, all the ways to get a hold of Carla. Uh, that's an amazing thing you give back to people three hours a week of office hours to just talk. That's that's really smart. I like that. I'm going to see if I can't put that in the how I operate as well. I like that a lot. So Carla, man, this has been a joy. Really, really had fun having you on the show. Uh, thanks for giving your time to my listeners. Really appreciate you. Yeah, and thank you so much, Jeff. You're an awesome host. You have a great community out here and I'm thrilled and it's been my honor to be here with you. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see everybody else next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.